You've heard this one before, inspire your team towards a vision. But the question I often get from leaders is, how do I actually create this vision that I'm supposed to have? On this episode, a step-by-step framework for how to build a vivid vision. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 345. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. A question I get often from our listening audience is about vision. Most of us have heard that having a vision, being able to articulate a vision clearly as a leader is a core competency for leaders. And yet, I find that a lot of us struggle with the, well, how do I do it? That's a question I get fairly often. How do I actually create a vision, articulate it? What do I do? What are the steps? I'm really glad that our guest is with us today because I think he's going to give us a very clear answer to that question and a framework that is going to help us to not only articulate a clear vision, but be able to articulate a vivid vision. Today's guest is Cameron Harold. Cameron is a business coach and mentor to several fast growth businesses and a CEO coach to large corporations throughout the United States and Canada. Cameron engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK's spectacular growth from 2 million to 106 million in revenue in just six years. He's the founder of the COO Alliance and the author of several books, including Meeting Suck and The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, co-authored with Hal Elrod. He's here today to teach us the lessons from his new book, Vivid Vision. Cameron, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Well, the pleasure is mine, and we should probably start this conversation where all good conversations about leadership start, which is with Alice in Wonderland, right? And huh. uh, I'm, I'm struck by the quote you put in the book from the Cheshire Cat, who said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. As I mentioned in the intro here, a lot of us have heard the importance of vision and yet don't necessarily know how to execute on it. But maybe we should back up for just a moment. What's the value of having a vision and why should we even be talking about this in the first place? You know, often we can kind of surrender into opportunities, right? And you just, you follow the great opportunities that present themselves. But if you don't have a vision of where you're going, the opportunities can sometimes take you in the exact opposite direction of where you should be. So when you're clear on at least your direction, you'll be able to say yes to the right opportunities and no to some of the wrong opportunities because you'll always be presented with opportunities. The key is to say yes to the ones that take you towards where you want to go versus just take the ones that feel good all the time. A lot of the corporate visions, that sentence or two up on the border, it's the nice yeah. poster. Maybe some of that relates to what you just said as far as being able to make some decisions as far as what you would do or not do. Well, I think the reality is most leaders have a vision. They just don't communicate it or articulate it in a way. They, they have some idea of where they're going or where they want to take their company or where they want to take their business area. And it's often a very robust vision, but it's usually just kept in their own mind. I think what's classically taught is to create a mission statement or a vision statement. You know, you get all your smart employees in a room, you put all your favorite words up on a whiteboard, you vote on what your favorite words are from the group, and you end up with like seven words that are left over that got a lot of votes. And then you try to mash them up into one sentence, and that kind of becomes your mission statement, right? Go team. 
Um, but nobody really aligns with it. Nobody buys into it. And it's just still very, very vague. You know, if you think about what your company looks like three years from now, you could be describing marketing and IT and operations, describe what your customers are saying, what the media is writing about you, what your employees are feeling, the culture. There's just so much more than can be encapsulated in that one sentence. But in the absence of this concept of a vivid vision, leaders really didn't have a way to articulate it. So at best, they usually started to give a plan, you know, but that would almost be like a homeowner building a house, coming in and, and drawing their own blueprints. You know, the, the homeowner isn't really capable or shouldn't be doing the blueprints. They should be really spending the time articulating what they want their home to look like. So that's kind of where we ended up getting trapped or stuck in the business world was not knowing how to communicate a vision, but usually having something in our mind and just not being taught how to get it out. And am I correct, too, that if you just have a sentence or two for the vision and and it is something that maybe sounds nice, but is fairly broad, that it's a lot harder for the owner and the executive team to be able to make a decision, like you said, when a good opportunity comes along of figuring out if that really fits in with the vision or if it's something that you know we should pass on well yeah and again i'll go back to the home example if let's say that i was a homeowner and you were my contractor and i asked wanted you to build me this amazing home well i've got a bunch of ideas of what it looks like i've got pictures and drawings and sketches and you know articles and magazines that show some details of a home and i can sit down with all of these things and show you what i'm looking for and i can talk about how my family entertains and how they play and how many kids we've got and you know how we want the home to look or i could say please build me a beautifully gorgeous, modern, you know, three-story home. Well, what's that going to do? Like that doesn't give you any guidance, right? So yeah, in the business world, that one sentence is what we were trying to get the team to rally around. The owner or the CEO or the leader usually has a lot more information in their mind. So they see all that information. They then start to think that they're very intuitive because they're making decisions based on what they see. And they wonder why the rest of their team isn't as intuitive. Well, it's because they can't see what the leader can see. And I think the biggest shift that people will see as they get into the vivid vision, which I want to ask you about here, is the amount of detail that's involved in this. And so can you paint the picture for us of what is different about a vivid vision versus that one or two page mission statement or sentence that might go up on a board? Sure. So the difference between a vivid vision and a vision statement, the vision statement is that one sentence statement. The vivid vision ends up becoming a four or five page written document that describes the entire company or business area in complete detail three years from today. So you'd be leaning out to December 31st, three years from now, describing, let's say, the entire company. So the way I teach people to do it, if you were describing your entire organization, would be describe every area of your org chart three years from now and maybe put three or four bullet points down about each area. So describe marketing and IT, finance, operations, sales, customer service, and kind of put three or four bullet points down around each area. And then you describe your culture, your meeting rhythms, the metrics and KPIs and dashboards you use, how the leadership team works. You put down comments around what the customers are saying about you, what your employees are saying about you, just like every, almost as if you were standing in your company walking around three years from now and you could describe what you see. You're not really sure how it happened because you were almost transported into the future, but you can describe what it is it looks like and feels like. And the key when you get that kind of that first rough draft of the vivid vision done, maybe a three to four page rough draft, 
you then give it to a writer or a copywriter who can really make it polished and pop off the page. And then you just add some graphic design elements to it to really make it feel like the rest of your brand. And that's what starts to align people because then everyone can see what you can see. Why three years as the time frame? It seemed to be about the right amount of point to provide enough of a dream, enough of a push, enough excitement and energy that's different from today, but not so far out there that it was just kind of too far out, like just too far to really wrap your head around. You know, five years seemed to almost just be too far out there that, that people didn't see any urgency or, or it, um, maybe it was too different from today. And then, you know, like the 10 or 20 or 50 year BHAGs were just impossible for people to get excited about. You know, there's, there's a different tool with a big, hairy, audacious goal, but to really describe something, um, it needs to be achievable in the people's minds, you know, and, and you want the employees to see that they could be a part of making some of these sentences of the vivid vision come true. This is great because this is one of the questions I get a lot from our audience. It's like, how do I actually do this? I want to see if I can get my brain around just the logistics of this. So you mentioned it's, it's you know it's four to five pages. How does that how does that show up? What what do you do to generate that? Is it one person sitting in a room writing this, and and who is that person, and how does that come together? Yeah, so ideally it is the leader of the company who's writing the vivid vision for the company. And then if you want to trickle that down to have individual ones for each business area or for some business areas, it would be the leader of that business group. Let's say the VP of marketing might do one for the marketing team. And it's the the leader of the company or the leader of the group is writing it independently and then getting buy-in from their team. And you might find that, you know, I, I coached a company on this years ago and the CEO took all of his 85 employees off site for the day and read out his vivid vision for what his company looked like three years in the future. And he turned to the team after reading it and he said, you know, about 15% of you hate what you just heard. And he said, but that's okay because you now know what the company looks like and you know it's the right time for you to quit. But 85% of you are probably really excited about what the company looks like in the future, which means now you know exactly how you can help make it come true. And he was right. About six weeks later, 15% of the company had quit. And then two years later, he ranked as the number two company in his province to work for. Well, that's interesting because I, I noticed that one of the things you teach is that when you articulate a vivid vision, the goal isn't necessarily to get something that everyone in the organization buys into right away, um, that a little bit of pushback is probably a good sign that you've created something that is powerful. Yeah, it's the, the key, again, is to get that um, almost like a magnet approach. You want to write the vivid vision in a way that it really magnetizes and pulls people toward you. In fact, you're going to be sharing a copy of the vivid vision with all potential employees, potential customers, potential suppliers, as well as your current employees, current suppliers and current customers. You know, you really want to pull people towards the organization. And if it's written in such a watered down way that it's trying to please everyone, it ends up pleasing no one. Got it. So I'm curious too, what precedes the getting into the room and writing it. So if you are the owner of the business or the uh, leader of the division, uh, prior to actually sitting down and starting to do that draft, what kind of thinking, conversations, listening should be happening that would inform what's going to go into those four to five pages? It's funny that you said sitting in a room to do it because I actually want people to get out of the room, get out of the office, get out of their of their boardrooms and go somewhere where they're inspired, somewhere around nature with no laptops, no iPads, no phones and go with a notepad and a pen and just start mind mapping and dreaming about what the company looks and feels like. 
By the way, my, I have a book on Vivid Vision that talks about how to create the Vivid Vision concept, but it also talks about how to create one for your personal life or for your family. So the same principles, um, you know, in terms of driving towards a goal apply, but you have to get out of the office to write one and just let your mind drift. Start by doing the mind map and jotting down a bunch of ideas. And if you're somewhere around nature, somewhere that you're inspired, or if it's in the middle of winter, somewhere, you know, I've gone to big ski lodges and sat, you know, by big, huge fireplaces or go to big, beautiful hotels and sit in the, you know, a lobby area by a fireplace in a big comfy leather chair and just let my mind drift and start, start dreaming, start writing down the ideas. How much do you think about the people who are currently on the team and in the organization as you're thinking about what goes into that vision? Or is it something that you kind of, uh, and this may not be an either or question, Cameron, so feel free to change the premise of it, but or is it something that you just kind of are dreaming and you're not really thinking about the resources you have right now? You're just thinking like, here's where we're going. We'll figure that out later. Yeah, I'm not really thinking about the current resources at all. Again, very similar to a homeowner. I just want to know what my home is supposed to look and feel like, and then I can figure out what the budget needs to be in the time horizons and, and you know, adapt if, if needed. But the, the key is to dream out as to what you're looking to build and then get the team and the people and the resources together who can help you do it. You know, it's funny, a great example of this is, you know, Elon Musk in, in building the Tesla, the Model S that he came out with a few years ago. The reason that he has the seven seat option in the Model S, and a lot of people didn't realize his pure reason for doing it, had nothing to do with design or transportation or market need. You know, there's not a lot of sedans with the seven seat option, but Elon's reason for it was he has five children. And if he's going to build a car, it's got to fit his family. Oh, interesting. So so then he decides, okay, that's what the vision looks like. It's got to be sleek and sexy and fast and and it's got to, you know, fit my entire family. And then he just said, who wants to help me build this? The same with our companies. It's it's more about the leader deciding what we're building and then saying who's crazy enough to help me want to build it. And from a language standpoint, one of the things I noticed in the vision examples you have in the book is that it's it's written in a present tense language. It's like it's already happened. It's already there. Yeah, exactly right. You really are writing it in the present tense as if you're standing in the future, walking around to see what it looks like. And then you can come back and show people and say, wow, this is what the future looks like. Who Who wants me to make it or who wants to help me make it come true? Do you find that that's a struggle? Because I, I, I'm fully in agreement with you. I think writing something in the present tense language that's several years out is absolutely the way to do it. And yet I also find that when I'm coaching people on that, doing visions, that sometimes they have a hard time really putting themselves into that mindset. What do you find, Cameron, that's helpful in the leaders you're working with to get in that mindset and being able to articulate something like it's already happening? I think it's just allowing themselves to not worry about how and to trust that their team will actually be able to figure out how, you know, often leaders get stuck in what I call how pies, you know, they're always trying to figure out how to do it, how to do it instead of figuring out who can figure out how to do it. You know, it's so when the when the the leader or the owner can just allow themselves to think about the future, not worry about how and trust that a bunch of smart people will then figure out the plan to make each sentence come true. You know, each sentence of the vivid vision becomes a future state and you can figure out one or two projects to make each sentence come true. So the key distinction here is set aside the how you're going to do it for now when you're writing the vision and figure that out later. That's what the team does. Just just actually create the what it should look like and uh, sounds like that's a that's a pretty big distinction to make. Yeah, it's exactly right. And again, once you actually are so clear on what it looks like and you've written it in such a way that it's exciting and it magnetizes and pull people towards you, 
then the team will start getting inspired and their work all of a sudden starts to take on greater meaning because now they start to see that everything they're working on is making some aspect of the vivid vision come true. Got it. Got it. Okay. And you said some of this earlier of like how to articulate it. So we, we talked about, you know, you've got a draft, you get someone who's got some writing expertise to, to bring it together, make it really come alive and polish it. But then the sharing it with others, what does this look like when you get that offsite together or you get the team together and you're going to share what this vision is that, that you've articulated? How does that go? Sure. Now, it also varies a little bit on the size of the team, right? So if you're passing it out to hundreds of people, it might not be an entire team meeting. If it's a smaller organization or a smaller group and, you know, 50 to 100 people, 30 to 100 people, what I like to do is print out a copy of it for each person, have all of the people gather, have everyone read it together and read it out loud. So there's, you know, people reading different sentences out loud until the entire document is read. And as it's being read, ask people to circle the keywords or phrases that most excite them, that, that they're most interested in. And then after you've read it out loud, ask a bunch of people to share what they're excited about. And you start to see the buy-in. While the document's being read, it's key for the leader to observe the room and look for the people that are rolling their eyes or completely are not bought in. And those typically are going to be the cultural cancers that you have to look to get out of the organization. Because now you realize that they don't want to be anywhere near building something like this. So it's better to get rid of them today than to worry about them in 18 months. And your intention in writing this is to, like you said earlier, use the analogy of the magnet. So you want to really attract the kinds of people in the organization who are bought in this. But at the same time, to continue analogy, I'm guessing you also want to repel the people, not only inside the organization, but the people who might come to the organization as job candidates and suppliers and customers. You want to repel people who aren't interested in the vision. Exactly. And that's why we start to roll this out externally as well as it really does start to pull the right people through. I've actually seen companies that have landed bank financing because the banker said that they finally understand the company and what they're building. They never understood the business plan or the financials, but they really understood the actual vivid vision. Um, I've seen employees get excited about joining a company because they were so excited about what the future looked like. They probably wouldn't have joined if they just saw what the company looked like today. But in spite of what it looked like today, they were excited about the three-year vivid vision, and that's why they joined and moved over. So you, you can really start to attract the right people. And then it also should push people away where they go, well, it doesn't sound like the kind of company I want to be with. Well, great. Don't apply. Or, you know, wow, that sounds like exactly the kind of company I want to be with. Great. Let's see if you have the skills to make this happen. When you mention in your writing that we as a species have a fascination with novelty, and so seen an organization that not only has articulated the detail of a vision like this, um, but is pushing the envelope and is doing something that's really novel and new and challenging is something that tends to get attention from people, you know, good or bad, uh, but really makes it clear of who's on board and who isn't. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that's where the excitement starts to happen. What I've noticed as well, where culture, you know, the mass media talks a lot about culture and they report on all the free stuff being given away, the perks and the you know, the benefits being given to employees, that's not really where culture starts. Culture really starts with alignment with vision, alignment with core purpose. And when this vivid vision document gets rolled out, you really start to see the entire organization gel and start to align. Yeah, you can get all the uh, free lunches in the world, but if you're not really behind what the organization's doing, it's probably not going to be the place you're going to be excited about going to that morning, right? Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the vision is rolled out. The team latches onto it. There's the people who don't. What happens after that? Because you've got this three-year time frame. What does that look like over time as far as how the vision goes from being articulated on paper to the actual actions the organization is going to take? 
Yeah. So once you've actually got the vivid vision done and you've rolled it out the first time, then the key is to start actually having all the employees and business areas reread the vivid vision every quarter. And I like doing it at the start of all the quarterly planning sessions or or start of any kind of um, creative brief sessions. Anytime that you're actually thinking about the future, you have all the employees in that meeting reread the vivid vision. So they're focusing on the future, but they're executing on today. So anytime you're in any strategic thinking or strategic planning meetings, any business planning meetings, it's great to reread the vivid vision together as a team. So you always know where you're headed and then you start making decisions with what core projects and initiatives to work on that are going to drive you towards that completion. So you've got those four to five pages and, you know, if you're, for example, the marketing department, uh, you know, there's maybe a couple paragraphs or a page on marketing. And so I'm guessing part of this is then the leader of the team in that department starts to highlight, you know, here are the three or four key elements that we see here. And then, you know, brings those out as projects. And that's where the, the actual execution starts to happen, right? Yeah. And then marketing might also read in the vivid vision around employees and they start to realize that they could be part of crafting the job postings and making the job postings for all business areas pop off the page. Or they realize that, geez, the, the company environment is really part of our brand and maybe they could take charge of building out a better office culture and an office environment. And and maybe they start looking at the, you know, the, the, the sales team a little differently and realizing that the sales team is working towards some initiative and marketing can help them make that come true. So it starts pulling all the business areas together because they start seeing where their business area can assist in making other parts of the company's vivid vision come true. And one of the things I I was struck by in reading through the book is your direction to resist the temptation to change things. Because of course, over three years, things are going to change. The the things tactically change in the organization. Why resist changing the vision or make any adjustments to it as you go through that three years? I think the reality is that it's a four or five page written document. So when you start obsessing about one or two sentences that might need to be tweaked, it ruins the entire purpose that, you know, at the end of three years, you're going to get so many of those sentences completed that it really doesn't matter that one or two of them might have changed over the course of time. Now, if there's a complete financial meltdown or your entire business is pivoting and you're going in a different direction, then sure, you may actually have to completely change that vivid vision document to re, you know, reflect, I guess, an entirely new purpose or direction for the whole organization. But for the most part, that really doesn't happen. So the other thing that happens is it becomes that aligning tool. And because it's consistent for a three year period, people keep driving and working towards it. But if it's always changing, if it's changing every quarter, and people aren't ever really aligned towards one thing. And that way people can see progress along the way too, right? And I'm guessing that's that's key. I, I love the example. Can, can you share about the, the different highlighting colors used, you know, green and yellow and how that relates to the vision? Sure. So every quarter what I like to do is have the business area or the company highlight which sentences have come true. And you hi- so you open it up as a Word document. You highlight the sentences as in green if they've been completed in yellow if they're in progress, and then just leave them black if they've not been started to work on. So each quarter, you start seeing the document turn more and more green. You start seeing it become completed, and that starts to raise the excitement and energy level in the group as well as they start to see it coming true. So you see the progress step by step. That's awesome. I'm conscious that there are folks listening to this who are not the CEO or the CEO or the business owner, but they run a large team. And I'm curious how this works. I mean, you mentioned that idea in an ideal situation, of course, you'd have the business owner articulating this and you need to have someone maybe doing a, a vision 
or a subvision for each of those departments. How about if you're working in a large organization and you don't necessarily have this direction from the top? Um, what is there a way to apply this for your own team? Yeah, it's harder to do it for the entire company because it's really hard to you know be in charge of the vision when maybe you've got a two or three layers above you. So I would try to either first do it for my business area and then perhaps get the team to help craft what they wanted and how they wanted to fit into the entire organization. Uh, but I think if you just kept that focus even on your business area and how you wanted your business area to act, it might be a shorter document as well. It might be a you know a two-page vivid vision describing the call center as an example. Got it. And I, one of the big benefits of doing this that really struck me is the marketing aspect of it. And, and you touched on this a few minutes ago. But I'm, I'm curious if you could share some examples of the folks you've worked with of how having a vision like this articulated has been helpful to potential customers, to the kinds of people who would come into the organization. Where have you seen this make a difference, either either in a positive way or maybe like we were talking about repelling away something you don't want? Yeah, I've seen um, there's a, a company in the call center space that did stuff for the oil and gas industry, and they landed a multi-million dollar client by sharing their company's vivid vision. And the client was so excited about what the company was working towards and what they looked and felt like that they signed up, even though that was really nothing of what the company looked like today. Oh, interesting. Um, what is it they saw in the vision that got them excited? I think they were inspired by the culture and the focus and the automation and getting into different services. And they, they just loved the energy versus a company that was just kind of stuck on their laurels and, and resting on the past. So it's that it, it's it's having the energy and the culture behind having people excited about a vision, even sometimes as much of what the vision says itself. I think that's really it, right? When you have that vision of where you're going and it becomes a shared collective vision, then everyone's energy starts driving towards that. And that's really where the excitement starts to come through. One of the areas you highlight in the book as well is how this is important and critical in our personal lives too. What's similar about this in writing a personal or family vision? And, and what, if anything's different from the corporate version? Well, let's say you're writing a family vision. It would be, you know, you and your spouse sitting down and each of you may be going off site for off out of the house for a half a day and each of you on your own independently writing up all of your rough ideas. You know, how are your vacations going to be? How are your mornings going to be? What are your evenings going to be like? What are your weekends like? What are your family's core values? What are your vacations like? You know, what are you doing with fin financials and, and how are you raising your kids and incorporating, you know, family holidays and friends into your lives, etc. And then you come back in and you merge those together. And then that becomes that shared, you know, first draft of the family vivid vision. That's a really powerful exercise to get the two spouses on the same page and to also have something to revisit, you know, quarterly or twice a year where the spouses get together and actually talk about their shared vision as a family and where they're going so they don't drift in different directions. Yeah, it strikes me as a really powerful concept and action to take. And I am curious for those who have spouses and partners, because I think that merge piece is really probably that critical piece of how to do that in a way that honors the preferences of both people, and at the same time, also sets aside some of the things that may be of interest to one person, but not to the other. Um, anything you've found that you, as you've worked with people and talked with them about this, that's been helpful on that? Yeah, and I've it actually really had done a lot of them with co-owners of companies or co-CEOs, co-founders, and getting both of them to go offsite and work on it independently and come back in. What we noticed was just to take the areas of commonality and build those in and have them discuss and debate the areas where they were maybe on separate pages and decide which of those parts they were separate on that they wanted to include and which they were okay with just pushing away then. 
So talk about the elephant in the room, have the conversation about it, figure out where the values are, and then decide from there. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. This is really fabulous. I The thing that I love about this model is that um, it's detailed, it's structured, it gives you a really great place to go as a leader of how to begin this process and not only just how to begin it, but actually how to execute it over the next several years. And one of the things that I found really helpful in the book is you have a, a number of these in the book, the word for word visions. So you can kind of get a sense of how the wording is, you know, t- uh, structure, uh, overall scope. And I think it gives you a good sense of how to do this. And like you said, you know, you're creating that vision and, you know, then, you know, other people are figuring out the details as you go. Um, so I, I love that about this. One one other question I want to ask you about is, you know, what we have experts on the show all the time uh, talking about leadership. And, you know, you're a pretty successful guy, Cameron. You've coached a lot of CEOs and organizations and led some tremendous change. Where have you screwed up before that you've learned something from that's been really valuable to you? Well, one was just not listening to some senior people that we'd hired. We had a a head of finance who was very qualified, very skilled in the financial areas. And um, this was back when we were building 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And Brian and I weren't as skilled in finance. Um, we didn't really understand it as well. And we were on very fast growth trajectory. We'd gone from $2 million to $100 million in about five years. And we were profitable and growing like crazy and amazing culture. And we were both very expressive, very dominant, big drivers. And our head of finance was very quiet, very analytical, very amiable. So he would point things out to us and we would just kind of bowl right over him and keep driving and almost ignored any of his warning signs. And we almost lost the company because of it. So I kind of learned that if you're going to have people on the team, it's because you respect them and want their advice and want to listen to them and get them involved. Same thing, bring them to meetings. If you're bringing people to meetings, set up a format to be able to listen to them. Otherwise, why are you inviting them in the first place? Yeah. And it sounds like personality was a key difference there of just people with different personality preferences. What do you do differently today in order to prevent something like that from happening uh, with people advising you? Sure. One of the things I do is that I bring stacks of post-it notes into all the meetings and I get people to write down their ideas on post-it notes, You know, one idea per post-it note. And then I get the newest employee or the most junior employees to speak first. And I go around the room finishing with the most senior employees last. And it's a great way to actually get the quieter people, the newer people to speak. And it's a great way to get the CEO to keep their mouth shut and speak at the very end. What they often notice is there's no reason for them to have spoken at all because the good ideas came from the team as well. I love that example, Cameron. I think we're going to leave it there. Cameron Harold is the author of Vivid Vision. If you or your organization are looking for a way to craft a vision that is going to affect change, this is a fabulous model to start with. Cameron, thank you so much for your time. Hey, Dave, you're welcome, man. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Whenever someone sends me a message saying they've shared this podcast with a colleague or friend, uh, I often write back and say that is the greatest compliment you can give me is sharing this with someone else. Thank you so much to all of you who uh, do that on a regular basis. And for today's conversation, if you know someone who is like you thinking about the importance of creating a vision or is looking for a framework for doing this more effectively, passing along this conversation will certainly be helpful to them. And thank you in advance if you do that. And there are also some related conversations to today's 
episode that'll be helpful to you if you are thinking about vision right now, I would absolutely encourage you to go back and listen to my conversation with Simon Sinek back on episode 223. Simon was on talking about how to start with why. He is the standard for how to really think through the question of why. What is your organization doing and why are they doing it? What's at the heart and soul of your organization? If you haven't yet heard Simon's thoughts on that, either on this show or in his very popular books, I'd encourage you to check out that episode again. That's 223. Also, a great assistance to you as you're thinking through vision, particularly if your vision centered around change, as so many visions are, is episode 224, How to Lead Through Uncertainty and Change with Jacqueline Farrington. Jacqueline's an executive coach, works with a lot of leaders around navigating organizational change. And in that episode, we talk through some of the key frameworks for once you know what the vision's going to look like, what can you do as a leader to communicate that effectively? And how do you respond to the different kinds of reactions you're going to get? We talked a little bit about that in this conversation, but if you wanted to get into a lot more depth on that, I would encourage you to check out episode 224. Also, will be helpful to you, episode 268, Ignite Change Through Storytelling. As we heard in today's episode again, creating a vision, creating a story for the future is a huge part of this. And storytelling is a essential element for leaders to use their language in order to inspire change. And I encourage you to check out episode 268 because my guest was Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez from the firm Duarte. They are probably the top presentations firm in the world. They have done a ton of thinking over the years on how to help executive leaders and organizations put together some of the best dialogue and presentation skills and language in order to get a message across. Again, that's episode 268. And then finally, an episode that will be especially helpful for those of you who are at the beginning stages of thinking about this. Maybe you're not quite at the point where you're ready to sit down and to write that vision. I would encourage you to check out MemberCast number four. I aired an episode on our MemberCast feed a while back on how to create a team vision but I talked more about the leading up to writing the vision. What kinds of conversations should you be having with your team in advance of that? How do you think about a vision in the context of uh, all the uh, things that are going on with your employee population and where the firm is, and also your own mindset of how you begin to approach this? A four-step process in that episode I outlined. Again, that's MemberCast 4. You will need your free membership set up on the Coaching for Leaders website to get access to that, as well as all of the past episodes aired since 2011. And the easiest way to get access to those, all of them, is just to go over to coachingforleaders.com, activate your free membership. It'll give you access to the entire library, searchable by topic. It'll also give you access to every member cast I've ever aired. And a ton more that's there that will hopefully continue to inspire you throughout the week and give you access to resources in the moment that you need them. I, I am a firm believer, as many of you know, that leadership development does not follow a set curriculum path for virtually anybody. Uh, leadership development is what do we need right now? And the, the free membership is really designed to answer that question any time for you when you get there. So take a moment to go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up that free membership. It'll give you access to all the expert interviews 
since 2011, plus access to my free audio course too. Tons there. Check it out. Hey, next week, I am really glad to welcome Robbie Samuels to the show. He is going to be joining us to teach us how to build relationships at conferences. We've talked a lot about professional networking on the show over the last couple of years, but one of the places we haven't really zeroed in on is how to do that in a conference setting. That is the place where many of us as leaders find ourselves building relationships, not only rather quickly, but in large quantity when we show up at a professional development activity or conference. And Robbie's going to teach us a framework and some great tactics on how to do that well. Join us next week. And as always, have a great week. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you next Monday. Take care.